It's the New Model Advisor podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the NMA podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer here at NMA. And joining me this week to talk the pension freedoms through is NMA senior reporter Jack Gilbert. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Good stuff. Um, I'll also be joined later on by Mr. Jamie Jenkins from Standard Life to get his expert view on the pension freedoms. But first, Jack, we need to play who's hot and who's not, don't we? We do indeed, Ollie. So, Ollie, back to you. Who, who is hot this week? I think Steve Groves, because Steve Groves has broken his silence in a wonderful way to give a, an honest and revealing account of what it was like to be the chief executive of an annuity company on the day of the biggest pensions budget of all time. Um, and I think I was scared at first that maybe some of the things that he would say when we went, that he said when we published them would, wouldn't go down too well. But I think actually people have taken to it pretty well. And they haven't accused him of grumbling at all. I think what he said is entirely reasonable. So I, I think it's a comeback for him. He I is. think this is the beginning of a new Steve Groves. Don't call it a comeback, Mr. <laughs> Groves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so Groves is definitely, definitely hot. He's made a comeback. He's, he's set the record straight. But who is, who is not so hot this week, Ollie? Um, treading carefully around uh, this issue, uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. I mean, this is an enormous story. It's all about data. It's all about permissions. It's all about privacy. Um, and it's absolutely uh, tarnished Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, and it's, it's threatening a lot of people in the so-called establishment, isn't it? It's sort of threatening people in the government. It's, it's questioning the very heart of how we deal with people's information and uh, what people know that other people know about them. So it's, it's a big story. Though we were saying earlier in the office, you know, Facebook doesn't seem to have suffered that much as a result no, yet. The share price is kind of back to what it was maybe last October, so. Yeah, but you know, anything could happen. And I, I personally think at a point where Facebook is perhaps trying to work out a future plan uh, as to how it's gonna regain the initiative and be, remain relevant uh, for young people, um, and everyone, indeed. Um, this is not going to be good. This is not good news uh, for Facebook, and it threat. You know, it it basically challenges our all our assumptions. I think so far since the dawn of social media uh, mainstream. So yeah, not good news for them. No, they haven't had it. Haven't had the best of week, have they? Uh, Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg or Cambridge Analytica. I mean, it it kind of it kind of makes you think. Well, who else is going to get drawn into this? You know, because it's we've seen several things happen in the last year that have uh, snowballed. You know, we've seen the Me Too campaign, which has seen all sorts of revelations emerge. No, well, it, it reminds me a lot of the Bell Pottinger story from last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you kind of saw this company go into to crisis, hmm. which ironically was a crisis management company, a crisis management company going into crisis. Yeah. And this is exactly what we're seeing here. We're seeing a company who 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 boasted to Channel Four News about how they can uh, entrap politicians themselves falling for, for entrapment, a, a sting operation by Channel 4 News. And we're seeing the snowball, we're seeing the chief executive be suspended. You know, I mean, they're, they're, it looks, things look ominous for their company at this point. And, you know, I think you're right. I think there are, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drag other parties into it in the next few days and weeks. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a huge story and it's, it's playing out very interestingly. Um, to move on to the enormous topics of, topic of pensions, uh, I have a survey in front of me that we did from the NMA Twitter account. Um, not entirely comprehensive or scientific, you might argue, uh, but nevertheless, we will persist. Um, we asked our followers whether the pension freedoms had been A, an unqualified success, B, good but poorly executed, or C, a savings disaster. Now, the results are in, and I can reveal exclusively 
that 29% of the respondents said that the, uh, the initiative had been an unqualified success. Uh, the majority, 67%, said that it had been good but poorly executed. And only 4% said that it had been a savings disaster. Now, Jack, I have two questions for you. The first one is, who do you agree with the most, A, B or C? And secondly, who on earth was the 4%? Well, I'd have to say, Ollie, I agree with uh, Mr. The, the, the voters in, in the B category on this okay. one. It was good, but poorly executed. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I think the, the government had missed out on a few key key um, initiatives when they announced pension freedoms, like the cold calling ban and things like that, and they're playing catch up now. Uh, in terms of the four percent, well, I wouldn't like to guess, as I'm sure we don't know who the who voted in this. It was anonymous. It's anonymous, uh, but perhaps the people who ran companies who were practically brought to the ground by pension freedoms might 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 be the ones who are most most likely to, to not be too happy with George Osborne's policy. Indeed, and to quote the man himself, just just for some self-serving publicity, you know, there's a man that we interviewed in our magazine that we just mentioned, and he said uh, that uh, the pension freedoms uh, were like taking the fences away from the polar bear enclosure at the zoo and letting people wander in. Uh, on the basis that that's freedom. Uh, he says some choices are dangerous uh, and that to truly exercise freedom, savers need to know the difference, uh, understand the difference uh, between the decisions that they're making. Um, was it Steve Groves? Perhaps we'll never know. We'll never find out. Um, but there we go, mystery. Well, I'm really pleased to say that this week's guest is a long-time contributor to the NMA magazine and website. He's not only an expert on all things pensions, but he's also a champion billiards player. And I'm told, as of today, his ranking is 48th in the world. It's Jamie Jenkins, Head of Pension Strategy at Standard Life. Hello. Hi, Ollie. Um, th thanks for the introduction. And um, yes, uh, playing billiards is my thing outside of pensions. Although I have to say 48th in the world, there aren't that many people in the world who are ranked at billiards. Okay. And you can't be doing that much at the moment because you've just had a baby, I understand. Absolutely right. So, yeah, Arlo was born uh, on the 18th of December, the same day the automatic enrolment review was launched, um, <laughs> incidentally. So my day was supposed to be filled with press activity and instead I was in the hospital. But he's uh, well and good and approaching three months old now, so he's occupying all our waking hours. Uh, now, Jamie, this week it was the fourth anniversary of the 2014 budget. It was a bombshell one, obviously. Where were you on that day and what was it like? Yeah, well, we were um, at Standard Life, as we invariably are for any budget, um, huddled in a room listening carefully to what the, the Chancellor of the time was um, going to say. Um, we, you know, like most people, didn't expect the announcement, uh, certainly the magnitude of the changes that were announced by George Osborne at the time. Um, so we were, we were huddled in a room listening to that, waiting to go away and uh, do our communications to advisors and um, to our customers and, and write our technical updates as we normally do. Um, but it was about halfway through that that we um, became aware that there was a um, quite a sizable, seismic change, if you like, to the way that we were going to continue doing business and the way that customers would interact. Um, it's quite funny because as you listened to it, it wasn't clear immediately until he repeated several times that people would no longer need to buy an annuity quite what he was saying uh, and then it started to sink in. Wow. Did you get a phone call at all warning you of the the news? Um, there, there was uh, a heads up but not days or weeks before. It was it was moments before. Moments um, before know, he to, stood up. To, to our um, most senior people but um, really n no warning other than just as it was starting we were made aware of what was being announced. 
And uh, what was your initial reaction once you, you know, once it had sunk in? Were you thinking, oh my God? Um, I, th I think my immediate reaction was this makes a lot of sense and immediately you, you, you know, giving people access to their own money, who can argue with that? Yes. It was, it was, you know, it was clearly very difficult for the opposition to argue with that at the yeah. time. Um, so I think it, it, it made sense and of course it, it was really an extension of what was available to wealthier people anyway mm. through Drawdown and removing the restrictions to make that flexibility available to everyone. So hard to argue with in its substance. I think immediately then you think about, okay, well, what does that mean in mm. terms of the change in the market, the change in the way that customers will interact? What have you seen since the implementation of the policy that's interesting or indeed not interesting? Because some people have said to me, you know, this has actually been sort of anticlimactic in terms of the lack of product development and innovation. Yeah, I, I would um, strongly disagree with that. I really? think within the first, I, I mean, product innovation can be interpreted in different ways. My view is that within a year of that day, that day that it was announced in 2014, um, providers delivered flexibility through products to the mass market in a way that had never been considered previously and within a time frame that normal product development changes wouldn't normally fit. Mm. So. I would argue that the innovation was in delivering that flexibility in simple, low-cost products to the, to the mass market. Um, now, others would argue, well, we haven't seen innovation of, you know, combined sort of annuity-come-drawdown type products or capital guarantees and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would, maybe we'll come back to it. I don't think that um, that is the solution to, to any of the problems that have emerged. I, th I think it's more around people's understanding, their support and guidance and decision-making, rather than a product that will be the answer. So I don't think that we should all sort of suddenly try and divert our attention purely to product development. Mm -hmm. I think it's more around the customer journey and decision-making. Do you think that, uh, do you have any predictions for what happen, what might happen in the future? Or is it the case that really we've had this enormous raft of change and that that's going to be... That's going to be it, uh, in, and it's a new landscape that will you know, last. So some people talk about the potential return of the popularity of annuities. So, yeah. so some people say, well, perhaps annuities will, will start to be sold um, you know, in great number again in future. Perhaps people will start to take annuities when they're 80 rather than when they're 65. Mm. Uh, uh, or you know, perhaps we'll see a trend like that. Um, however, I think more likely we're seeing flexible income as the way forward and I think that's now fairly embedded as the way that people will approach retirement. Um, we may well see annuities serve a purpose but the notion of simply returning to annuities and people using all of their funds to purchase annuities I suspect is, is quite unlikely. I think most people value the flexibility too much. So drawdown as we call it um, which offers the flexibility to people I think is, is here to stay. Mm. It's all very well that you say this sort of about the, um, you know, the new, the new uh, paradigm of freedom and choice. Surely you must agree with uh, some of the commentators who say that it was an utterly cynical move on the part of the Treasury to announce a policy that would be launched just before an election. Um, it had political capital. There's no question. There's no question about that. Definitely I mean, put. <laughs> anything announced by politicians has political capital, but. Sure. Um, uh, and I think there may also be elements of it which couldn't possibly have been thought through and worked through with industry because it was only announced to the vast majority of people that day. 
like what like what kind of elements well i think i think i mean the very nature of um sort of removing the compulsory need to annuitize wasn't publicly known or consulted upon yeah um what was consulted upon was the the way in which that was done subsequently and the rules around drawdown and mm. and access and so on and so forth but some of the fundamentals of that were, were clearly not consulted upon and therefore ran the risk that they they'd missed things which could have adversely affected um, consumers. I think what the industry and to be fair government and, and the Treasury and others in, in government have done a good job of since is trying to put in place a framework both prior to April 15 and, and, and indeed working on it subsequently to try and protect consumers. And of course the FCA mm. continue to, to rightly to sort of review that two to three years on and say what can we do better. I think that's absolutely right. Do you have any sense of the FCA's attitude to all this because you know you've got to feel a bit sorry for them surely I mean they have to do all this stuff and everything's constantly changing and we've had a lot of stuff happening in the past sort of three four years that they've had to deal with do, do you ever get any sense of their attitude to it all? I, I have some sympathy with them and I'm not sure there's many of your um, advisors listening to this will necessarily concur with that but I have some sympathy with them um, insofar as their role is not to set policy and, and, and be the politician in that equation. Their role is to, is to be the regulator and to, to protect consumers and, mm. uh, uh, and, and all the other things they do to, to stimulate competitive markets. So they have to deal almost by definition reactively with what government is doing. Yeah. You know, they're not setting, setting the initial rules or setting the direction. Um, what they're doing now is a very good example though of, of I think the right thing to do, which is you say, well, okay, it is unlikely that we would have got things exactly right for a market that was unpredictable mm. three years ago and therefore it's right to review it two to three years in and say okay what are people doing and what should we do differently and of course all the time even if customer behavior doesn't change the nature of technology and, and, and how that's changing alongside us demands that you review this I think on a regular basis and say how do we best shape that market We've had various people in the studio discussing this in video interviews, which will be put out over the next few weeks. Um, and on the auto on the topic of auto enrolment, uh, there are two tranches of thought about uh, auto enrolment and pension freedoms. One is the Steve Webb School of Analysis that says, well, you couldn't have uh, auto enrolment without the pension freedoms, because uh, people just wouldn't want to be auto enrolled into something that wasn't that was inflexible. Um, and then there's another school of thought which suggests that there's actually a logical disconnect between having a default into a, a fund that doesn't require any action at all and then exposing those people to the volatility and the risk uh, in the, the decumulation phase uh, at a point where because they haven't been engaged they may be much more at risk. Yeah, so I disagree with all of that. Um, okay. on, on the grounds, and, and let, let me expand. Of the last point or the first Both. point? Both. So um, I don't think it's a valid argument that um, auto enrolment couldn't exist or couldn't be successful without the pension freedoms because I don't think that people staying in workplace pensions is predicated on them being attracted to the idea of retirement and pension freedoms. I That's think the whole it's point, isn't it? based around inertia. <laughs> yeah. And it was working perfectly well for two years before um, the pension freedoms were announced. So unless millions of people had anticipated uh, what George Osborne was about to say, I, I, I don't buy that. Um, but I do believe they're entirely compatible. Mm. And I would agree with, with, with Steve Webb on, on that. Um, and I'm very supportive of both. I think they are both 
um, you know, very successful planks that hopefully will stick with now in pensions. Let me just expand on why I think they're compatible. Your second point is how do we combine the uh, embracing of inertia in auto-enrolment with the decision-making and engagement required in retirement, if I, if I paraphrase. Um, I think it is a journey. I think it's acknowledged that the success of auto-enrolment is about nudging people in at the outset and in each subsequent job or employment and that that works and we've proven it works and it somebody has to make a conscious effort to come out of something that they've now created a framework that says it's good and it's socially normal to do. Mm. So I think that bit works. Absolutely, the retirement freedoms requires engagement. Now, in theory, in, in a, uh, somebody approaching adulthood now, they will have about 40 years between the point they're auto-enrolled for the first time and the point at which they need to make decisions at retirement. Mm. Surely it's not beyond us to engage people in a progressive way along that path over several decades. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think that is possible and we can create a social norm that says you save through your workplace or through your job um, and over time you need to take more interest as that pot grows because you'll have big decisions to make at the end. I, I'm absolutely sure we can educate, co-educate each other as a society as, as we go along. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think quite a lot about uh, uh, responsibility now to my son to do this, um, who is still, you know, a couple of decades away from being an adult. I was um, going to mention that because, <laughs> you know, you have a new baby. That's a brilliant uh, image on which to hang all of this because we're talking about, you know, sustainable long-term savings policy. Well, indeed. Now, I, I mean, I th I do I do talk about this. So anybody that's seen me speak at recent conferences, I uh, I just throw up a picture of Arlo on the screen and talk about him for half an hour. Does um, he have a pension already? Not yet. Okay. Um, we we're still debating the the junior ISA. I'm happy to um. come back to that. It's an interesting debate. But um, yeah, he he will most likely uh, reach adulthood um, in a world where. Whatever job or employer he goes to, he's in a workplace pension of some sort, saving hopefully something above 8% of his total earnings for what could be five decades and then retire at 65, 70, maybe even 75 if it's assumed that he lives till 100. So all things being equal in his health and work, mm. he will be very well saved for retirement just through virtue of automatic enrolment and could very well walk away with half a million or a million pounds in today's terms. Now, that is not um, to say that he, he is a, a millionaire in the traditional sense of the word. He won't have won the lottery. Mm. He will have saved all his life to have a big pot of money which he then has to use for the remaining decades of his retirement. That is different. So you win the lottery and you can indeed buy a Lamborghini and have no particular regrets if it all goes wrong because you didn't have the money in the first place. Mm. Um, but you're, you're, you know, being a, a pensions millionaire through 50 years of saving, I think, probably commands a bit more um, uh, thought as to the, how it's then used in your retirement because it's there for a very particular purpose. But that's a good problem. That would be a good problem to worry about the decisions he yeah. needs to make and those like him need to make in future yeah. with having a lot of money. Mm. You say by the time he reaches adulthood, which I believe will be in roughly 18 years, for the sake of argument, will the pensions dashboard be completed by then? <laughs> uh, and if not, why not? You cynic, you. Um, yes, it will be, and I think it'll be several iterations on. Okay. It, but put it this way. Um, so uh, 
Arlo will uh, undoubtedly grow up in a world that changes technologically, dramatically, probably exponentially over the next couple of decades, as it has done in recent decades. In a way that we couldn't possibly even imagine. We can't even imagine, yeah. yeah. Some, so somebody, uh, interestingly, was telling me the other day that uh, his uh, 17-year-old daughter had sat her driving test in December, just passed, um, marginally failed it and had a reset in January, and in the reset they'd introduced, I think, 10 or 15 minutes of sat-nav-based supervised yes, testing because sat-nav is now so prevalent in, in yeah. driving and it makes absolute sense. The driving test has been updated. Now, put your, put your mind forward 20 years, I would imagine diesel will be gone, petrol perhaps is gone, it's all electric, manual cars are gone in favour of automatic, and in fact, will we just have driverless cars? So not only might the driver driving test change, maybe there is no driving test because you don't need to drive. Yeah. You know, the, 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 you know the, that's not inconceivable, I wouldn't imagine, in anybody's mind right now, the way that things are progressing. Take that into the world of pensions as a parallel. The notion that um, somebody born today in adulthood in 20 years wouldn't have a seamless, online, easy-to-do transactional way of dealing with their pension it just, just seems bonkers to me. Mm. So yes, I think we'll have it. <laughs> um, will it deliver in 2019 or late 2019 or 2020? We can debate that. The fact is technology will, will, will absolutely carry this, carry this along. Mm. And I think it's a lot more than a pensions dashboard ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have to ask you this just finally, making no assumptions about your age, Jamie. Have you used the pension freedoms or do you intend to in the future? Uh, I'm not old enough to use the pension freedoms. I thought that might be the case. Uh, I, I could see that telling look on your face as, uh, as you asked the question. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I will. So I, I grew up in the very fortunate generation who, as working for a large employer, I had a number of years service in my earlier career in a defined benefit scheme. Mm -hmm. And I have probably the second half of my career in a defined contribution scheme. So I'm lucky in that sense that I've got some DB history. Um, and there'll be a question mark that will continue to stand as to whether I keep that in DB as a guaranteed pension or indeed I, I move it to DC, uh, which I've not done yet, but mm. um, but is an option for me. Mm. Uh, and I'll certainly have a sort of growing DC pot, which will give me the pension freedom. So I haven't worked out what I'm going to do yet. So for all that I preach about people thinking ahead and planning and engaging with their retirement, I haven't done that yet. Wow, but, um, okay. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fine, Jamie. <laughs> it'll be absolutely fine. Just put my head in the sand. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, brilliant. Well, that's about all that we've got time for today. I'm afraid. Um, thanks, Jamie, for coming in, and uh, to the NMA team for contributing. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by going to iTunes and searching for New Model Advisor. We just have one final thing to say, which is this. Um, some of you may be aware that a couple of weeks ago, former Tizer director Malcolm Small very sadly passed away. He was a great friend of our magazine and was supposed to appear in an NMA podcast in a few days' time, actually, to discuss the pension freedoms. And we were sad that he never got the chance to have his say-so on this subject, as he was such a passionate campaigner and thinker about all these things. So as a tribute to him and his life, this podcast is dedicated to him. <laughs>